Welcome to another edition of Positivity Rocks. I'm your host, David Baker. This week, a wonderful, wonderful guest. I've got my friend Kate Carruth here in the studio with me. It's uh, not your average studio. It looks more like a living room to me, but there we go. Kate, how are you? Oh, very well, David. I'm trying very hard not to make you laugh, actually. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Just it. as you started, we had about four attempts to get yourself, so I was going to try, try and distract you madly. Uh, no, I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm um, delighted to be here in your studio. <laughs> well, there's doing the rabbit fingers, by the way, you know, <laughs> so the, the studio, which doesn't work on, on, on podcasts at all, but there you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, a one, it's just wonderful to have you here. Now, Kate you are the content alchemist. I am. Why don't you tell people what a content alchemist is? What does content alchemist do? What the heck is a content alchemist? Okay, the short answer. I'm a writer, David. Um, The long answer, so I started my business, Creative Words, five years ago, just coming up in five years ago. Um, The idea was I wanted a nice, quiet life as a copywriter. What I discovered very, very quickly, um, when you're writing for small businesses, you would write a beautiful blog or a beautiful piece of website content for them. They say, thank you very much. They pop it in their in-tray. And guess what? Nothing happened. Um, I came from the world of management consulting. Consulting is all about making stuff happen. So I, I sort of saw this, all my efforts kind of going to naught and just very quickly thought, yeah, well, bugger that for a game of soldiers and started saying to businesses okay well i can write it for you of course would you like me to also set it up on your website would you like me to also create find images for your blog um and that was where the idea of alchemy came from because it was more transformative than that and the business has expanded um partly because my first with my first client i was doing something a bit different anyway but also because actually i've found it's very much what people need into all forms of content content and transforming in all sorts of different ways and alchemy itself is, is a transformative transformative process rather than just a, um, a transactional one so that's where content alchemy comes from so we help people we obviously help people with their marketing content so websites blogs all of those kinds of things but we also help with um, internal communications for larger organizations we help with content for customer follow-up so in some industries, particularly things like professional services, actually keeping in contact with a past client is as important as, as attracting a new one. So keeping those sorts of people engaged and also content for income. And this is this is an area where, which has, I feel really sets the business apart, which is that we help people with online training courses, online membership services and books, which is a, a particular passion of mine, particular love of mine. Absolutely, because you've uh, got the book writing gold. Yes, book writing gold is a is an author academy. I have a couple of online training courses for people. Um, mo- most of them are more focused towards the business owner. So um, there's a, a, a demystifying content course, which is just helping people understand what the hell content is in the first place. Um, and then a short one, which is all about, you know, 60 seconds I do a lot of net. One of the things I do as a business owner, I'm a networking floozy. I'm a member of all sorts of different organisations. I go anywhere, me. Um, and um, helping people with a 60 seconds that is more than just hello, my name is. Um, just as much for my own benefit as anything, because then I don't have to sit and listen to 40 people going around and saying hello, my name is, my business is. 
um, but you know, things that are a bit different and fun. And then book writing gold, um, it was on my radar for a long time, really wanted to do it. And then last September, I was challenged, what could you do in three weeks? And I thought, well, I'll get this course I can on its feet in three weeks. And it's turned into a bit of a monster because there are plenty of courses out there on how to write a book, how to write a book in six weeks <laughs> and things like that. And actually what you realise is they're very, very lightweight. And as I've been working on this, I've realised I want this to be truly comprehensive for someone who wants to write a book. So it's going through every stage of book writing, it's covering every aspect of, of book writing, including the one I'm doing, the, the, the module I'm doing at the moment, which is using beta readers and how to use some, how to actually ask somebody else to read your book so that they don't come back and say, yes, very nice, dear, which is what, which is what most people get because they ask a friend or a mother. Um, and they are in, they're inclined to say, yes, very nice, dear, rather than actually saying something helpful. So all of those sorts of elements of writing a book, I'm, I'm trying to cover as I go. So. so what would you say is the most important thing for a writer, other than actually being able to put words on a piece of paper? And what, what would you say? The most important thing for a writer is to know who the audience is. In fact, it's the most important thing for any business is to know who your audience is. Who are you, who are you for, mm -hmm. is the answer. So whether you're writing a book, whether you're writing a web page, whether you are writing um, a blog, whether you're writing a piece of social media, the first thing is who, is, who is it I want to be reading this? And then once you know that and what they need, that makes the process much, much easier. And I've always used this, this sort of triangular definition of content, and it comes from I think it's Andrew Davis, he, he wrote Pride and Prejudice when um, Colin Firth got his kids off. Um, and they all got terribly excited in the 90s. Um, and he, he defines content as anything that adds value to an audience. Well, if you take those in reverse, you need to know your audience, you need to know what value they need, and then you worry about the anything that, that sits in that space, um, which could be literally anything that they will take value from so this podcast is content yeah um your web page is content your um your your reels on instagram is content but anything that adds value to an audience which means going for a cup of coffee and chatting to somebody where you have an exchange of value an exchange of information well that counts as content and therefore it's so, I've always used that model because it helps people feel a lot better about it. They get, they get told by coaches, by business coaches and online, you need to do more of your content if you're a business owner. And then they feel baffled by the whole thing. And therefore just understanding how broad it is and therefore you can do what, what works for you, fine. I, th I think when, when I'm listening to you, I can, I can hear what Jim Rohn would call You've got the um, magnificent obsession. <laughs> you you, yes. you love you love your words. You love um, what you do. So, what was it for you? What was it when you were younger that said, no, "I've got to do this. This is what I want to do. This is what makes me happy." Always, I think it's the answer. When I was three, someone asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I said I wanted to be a cooking chef. Um, my father, my father, who was a teacher, um, 
knew at once I'd be a writer. Um, I was always creative in that sort of storytelling element of it. And, and I do see what I do very much as, as, as a storytelling role, even if it is business content, you're still telling a story. And um, I uh, write from when I was three. It was very, very obvious that writing was going to be my thing. I was always writing. I mean, it's my very first school report when I was seven says, loves writing stories. And I can remember we'd been to the zoo. I was living down in Essex then. We went to Colchester Zoo on a school trip. And then I, afterwards, we were supposed to write something about it. And I wrote about eight different stories about different animals in the zoo in a, in the space of three or four days. Um, in my in my school, but I don't think I've still got those school books. But um, I do remember very clearly. I remember writing a one about a monkey. Um, but but it, it was always picked up very very early on. And then thirteen, when you're doing your options, you're choosing your O levels. I am that old. Um, and was asked what you want to do for a career. Said I wanted to be a writer. And my he wasn't a career officer. He was head of year. Um, I'm sure trying to be helpful said, well, writers don't make money, so what would you do for an income? I was 13. I always did what everybody expected of me. So what I heard was, you can't be a writer, get a proper job. So that's what I did. I did my O-levels, I did my A-levels, I went to university, did a maths degree, go figure, um, and got a proper job. Went in, I got a graduate training scheme working in manufacturing worked in the largest cottage cheese factory in Europe, which is up in Shropshire. Um, I went back there recently, it's been taken over by somebody else, it's very sad. Um, it, was a, it was a bit of a, a, um, a funky old place, it had old houses in the middle of it and things like that, um, which have all gone, but, um, but yes, so so did that. And that led me relatively quickly into management consultancy, worked as a management consultant for probably 22 years in total. Um, and it was it originally, so originally I was doing software implementation. So that was how it started, is that within the factory, they were implementing a new piece of software. And I, I saw that process happening, was part of that process happening and got interested in it. And said to one of the people who was there as a consultant, this really interests me, how, how do you get a job doing this? And they just said, you just apply. Which is what I did, I just applied. And, um, got a job with this small software house, which was then, it's a company no one would ever have heard of, except that it got bought by someone who then got bought, who someone got, who then got bought by someone else. It's now Oracle. So most people have heard of Oracle. Um, but so I sort of say I work for Oracle, I didn't really. um, And then from there, moved to big business consulting, got a job with PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, in their consulting line. Um, did that for about four years and then this little company called Enron went a bit bust and unfortunately the consultants within the company which worked, we worked for an organisation called Anderson, Anderson Accounting decided shredding paperwork would be a good thing to do and the accountancy, they were the top accounting firm in, in the world, they were the major brand, they were the one everyone aspired to be and they vanished. And it felt like it went overnight. It wasn't, it was about three or four months. 
as all of these dirty little secrets started emerging that they covered up. But what happened for PwC is PwC said, we need to separate our consultant from our accountant because there's this conflict of interest. So they sold us. So they sold us to IBM. So I went from PricewaterhouseCoopers to IBM, worked for IBM for three years, and then left IBM and went to work for um, a smaller firm. They're the largest of the independent PA consulting. And while I went there as a change management consultant. So change management is essentially internal communications. It's helping organisations manage the change process and particularly the people piece. So I was sort of back into that communications and, and writing world. Um, and while I was there, I did a number of different projects. Um, I did a lot with government, um, for good or ill, um, some less good than others, um, but, um, but quite a lot that involved the written word and communication. So I was starting to migrate in, back into that world of, of being a writer without even really realising it, that that was what was happening. Um, consulting is a world where basically you're never at home you're wherever the work is, so you travel the whole time. And as a hobby, writing is quite a good one if you travel a lot. So I was writing all the time, I was writing fiction, but not really doing anything with it. And then 2000, 2005, late 2005, I found a lump. And that lump, the GP said, I'm sure that lump is nothing, but we'll just pass you on for a mammogram, just to be sure. I'm so glad she did. Um, I was too young for it to be anything serious. Um, these were all the things she said. So said, I mean, you're very young. I'm sure this is nothing. We'll just, but we'll just be sure. And it wasn't nothing at all. It was. It was. Uh, it was a grade one. Grade yes, grade one stage three C cancer uh, in my left breast. So they did the mammogram on Monday. They had me back in on Friday for results. And, and a, they, they'd done an ultrasound on the day, second ultrasound and a needle biopsy. And by the following Tuesday, I was in hospital having surgery. Um, so they weren't hanging about. But um, so yes, that, that, that really rather changed my perspective. I think it would be fair to say. Yeah. I'm... We always, you know, we always hear the words, we always change when our perspective changes. I mean, was that the thing that, like, hang on, what am I doing here, doing, working for other people? Was that the thing that really set, set you apart, no. going into working for yourself? No, it was, that's the funny thing, it wasn't at all. Um, the, 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 the message in my head wasn't, why am I working for other people? Because it didn't cross my mind I would ever do anything else. It's, it, for anyone who's ever worked for other people, you realise it's, it's really quite safe and secure, you know, but <laughs> particularly consulting, they give you money even when there isn't a project, you know, they just pay you. Um, and, but what it did do in my head was, right, well, life's a bit too bloody short for any of this hanging around and not doing stuff. So in that next year, I did a huge amount of the things that I somehow always said I was going to do, but not got round to. Little things, like walking on Hadrian's Wall, I'd always wanted to walk on Hadrian's Wall and somehow never done it. So I did a, um, it was actually a fundraiser walking um, about 20 miles of Hadrian's Wall. Um, I'd always wanted to go to Pompeii, um, booked that as the holiday for when all of the treatment was over. 
someone had said to me, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're going through this, have something to look forward to at the end of it that isn't the end of treatment, that's just something else. So I booked to go to Pompeii um, with my then partner, um, and we did that, we went and saw Pompeii. We actually did a, a whole tour of the whole of that area, all of that um, region. Amazing, amazing holiday. Um, and I published my first book. So self-published it. Um, I sold about 40 copies, which was all I really cared about. It was never about um, being a best-selling author in that sense. I don't think that's ever... I mean, it would be nice. Of course it would be nice. It would be very nice if someone wanted to movie rights, you know, and make me a billionaire. Great. But I don't think that's ever what I wanted it to be. It's always been um, the moment somebody else gets involved, particularly with fiction. Um, and anyone who's ever read a book and then watched a film and gone, well, that didn't happen, <laughs> um, will understand that actually your, your creative work is yours. And I think I would probably struggle with that, that, you know, the movie industry, oh, no, well, for it to be pure box office, we have to do this. And it's like, no, you can't do that. Um, I can't watch the Harry Potter film. Yes, because I, I, I agree. I, I, I find it difficult to watch them. Yeah, yeah. so I watched the first one and I thought, well, there's, there's three or four entire characters missing, mm -hmm. and one of the ones who is so pivotal in that first book, I can't even remember his name now, the little kid who's, who's, who's simply not a very good magician, uh, wizard. But Neville. Neville, yes. <laughs> and it's actually, uh, about two thirds of that book is about Neville's character development, and of course none of that is covered in the film, because the film is all about the action. Um, so it's that, that sort of thing. And, um, but yes, I'm digressing, I apologize. I can't even remember if I've answered the question. <laughs> but um, but yes, I published that first book and while I was doing chemotherapy, I actually wrote the second one. Um, so I did all of these things and started to move myself into a space of this is who I truly want to be. But at the same time, was still, it was still sort of in the world of you have to have a proper job. You need you need lots of money and the consulting pays very well it was very comfortable um you know it, and uh, and that comfort means that's what you carry on doing really because it's easy um it wasn't until quite a bit later that things really changed so one of the side effects with cancer treatment is weight gain particularly if you're a hormone responsive cancer they give you a series of drugs that, that basically kill your hormonal system but have as a side effect massive weight gain so i got very overweight i'd always had problems with my weight i still do um and around about 2013 so we're now what six seven years on from from diagnosis i I've done everything. I've done all the diets. I've done all the schemes. I've done all the um, the weird gadgets and all of that kind of thing, um, which all worked for a bit and then didn't, as is always the way with, with, with diets. And I joined a gym because I thought this will solve everything. So I went to the local LA Fitness, which was just up the road from where I live. Joined the gym, thinking that'll solve everything. Now it so happened that at the time they had, if you join this month. We'll give you a month's free membership and a, um, I think probably a box of Max Tone. 
something equally noxious like that in the bottle, and three free months to something called Weight Guru, which I'd never heard of. Um, and basically it was a little card, piece of paper. Um, and all over it, you know, Weight Loss Guru program, online, online um, diet program, all the, you know, this kind of thing. Pete Cohen, GMTV, and I'd never heard of this guy. Um, so I thought, yeah, okay, another diet, not doing another diet, I had enough of those. And, um, but because it, it made all of this of his celebrity status, I thought, alright, well, I, I don't, I've never heard of him, maybe I should have heard of him. So I Googled him. And um, he popped up on YouTube, and he was the weirdest looking bloke. Uh, sorry, he's heard me say this before. He was wearing a, no word of a lie, a pink candy striped shirt with a pink, with a wide pink tie. I don't know when this thing was done, actually, looking at the fashion. Big Harry Hill type collar. Um, and, um, yeah, just the weirdest looking bloke. But he was doing this short piece with a fifty pound note. Took, I think he was. I think he was somewhere like Australia, so it was a hundred dollars or something. And he screws it up and he spits on it and he stamps on it and he keeps saying to the audience, "Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it?" And he said, "Look." He picks it up and said, "Look, this is you. You've been stamped on and spat at and screwed over by life, but your value hasn't changed." And I, I watched this thing with my mouth open because it was the first encounter I had truly with life coaching. I'd never really come across that sort of perspective. And I, so I started doing weight loss guru and started losing weight. And then over the next few years, through different things, lost in total about six stone, which in, which in old money is 84 pounds. Got healthy. Um, and one of the things that I did towards the end of that, I'd already lost quite a bit, was a um, something called an inner circle, which was something that Pete used to do at the time, Pete Cohen used to do at the time, which was very small group coaching, six or eight people. Um, <clears throat> and that's how I actually met him. And I met him very briefly at a book launch in the October of 2015, and then in 2016, April 2016, he did a, a meetup in his then home in Hinchley or somewhere like that. Somewhere, somewhere London, you know, <laughs> smoke, basically. <laughs> um, and he did this, he did this meetup, so, and that was where I met him, properly met him for the first time. And two things happened that day. One was during that session, the people who were there helped him design how would you track the Magnificent Seven? So the Magnificent Seven is a model that comes from an American nutritionist called Dr. Robert Rakowski, and it's seven different elements for optimal health. And we were talking about, well, how would you track it? And collectively, and I can't remember who said it, says, well, you could make it a wheel. You know, a wheel of seven spokes, which is fucker to draw, I tell you. Um, and you just, you know, so you get this um, sort of spiderweb effect. So that was the first thing that happened that day. And the second thing that happened that day is I said to him, you know, if I could do anything, what I'd really like to do is be a writer. But of course, writers don't make any money. Repeating something that had been said to me, what, 40 years before, probably. And, and he said, oh, well, we'll have to see what we can do about that. And I will be honest with you, I've heard people say stuff like that to me before, and I just thought, oh yeah, no, no bullshit, sir. 
<laughs> who, who reckons anything can happen? Um, and it's a, you know it's an easy it's an easy promise to make because there's an empty promise. But he phoned me the next day and said, "Okay, well, that you know that magnificent seven wheel we did yesterday. I quite like to make that part of the journal that I want to put together. Would you help me by writing the introduction? Because I need someone to write the introduction." Which is what I did. So I wrote the I wrote that introduction, um, and then I don't quite know how it happened. Did the page designs? I do remember kneeling on the floor, drawing round the base of a mug to sketch out the wheel that is now the magnificent seven wheel. I probably still got those drawings somewhere, um, and trying trying to work out how the hell I could divide something up into seven separate segments <laughs> so that the graphic designer could work out what needed to do needed to be done. Um, and worked with graphic designers to create the design of the pages and all of those kinds of things. Um, and so that was the first thing I did for my Christmas side. And I, I never stopped helping Pete do that. So then, then he wanted to do a Fitness Mindset Academy, which was for uh, personal trainers, to help them with the mindset element of personal training, which is often a big obstacle. So that was the next thing we worked on together, and I did worksheets for that. And then he said, well, we've got this, this elite thing that you know I've just launched, which he had just launched at the time. Um, I'd quite like to do something a bit more substantial with that. And that was when I started helping him with masterclasses. And somewhere in this phase, I had this realisation that what I was doing here for, for Pete was a business. And yes, fiction writing, very rarely makes any money. You have to be John Updike or, or, or J.K. Rowling. One of those exceptional pieces of luck, or for the movie rights to be sold, which of course happened to her as well, um, to actually make your living as a writer. Very few fiction writers make their living as a fiction writer. But writing content for businesses, yes, that could make a, that could make a living. So uh, that was the... Um, sort of pivotal shift and I don't remember it happening in a sort of a, a, a sudden realisation. What I do know is that when My365 had its first summit in the September, during that summit one of the guest speakers asked the question what's stopping you from whatever it is you want to do. And he asked me that directly because I said you know one of these days I want to quit my job and start this business and he said well what's stopping you? And I didn't really have a good answer. So I just made the decision on that day, wrote on a piece of paper, I'm going to have my notice in the first day 2017. Which I didn't do because that's a Saturday, you can't hand your notice in on a Saturday. <laughs> so it was actually the 3rd of April 2017 that I handed my notice in. But that meant that May 2017 was when the business was started, 3rd of May 2017. What was the question, sorry? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. You know... How are we doing on our 10-minute podcast? It is exactly. <laughs> what, what's come to mind is, is, is something that happened to me as well. You know, you were told, oh, you're not going to make money being a writer. For me, I was always told, I've the words were said to me, why do you want to do that? Now, back then, when I was younger, it was always a case of, okay, I took it as, don't do that. Mm -hmm. When I really should have been saying, okay, why do I want to do that? Answering the questions, okay, if I do that, then it will lead to this, do that, to lead to that, you know? And 
so the, the words that we were told really do affect us during our, our lives. So for you to hear, you know, oh, you don't make any money as a writer, you know, it just, it stops you for so long from doing what you really wanted to do. And it's fascinating on two fronts. One, because what, you're, what you hear and what you interpret is so different. And it's quite true. Writers, fiction writers don't make any money. And I still look back on that guy and think, well, why the hell didn't you say, okay, well, fiction writing doesn't make money. So let's look at other writing. Because even, you know, even if we go back to 1983, which is when that was, there was still a ton of writing going on. There was still copyright. Copywriting's been going on since, well, at least the 1920s was where the first copywriting and advertising agency set up. So, we, you know, that's, that was a profession of 60, 70 years age. Journalism is a, is a, is a writing profession. Um, technical writing. I mean, there was already a whole load of other things he could have been saying, okay, well, let's explore all of these as well, because fiction writing can be quite challenging from that point of view. But also that um, I simply abandoned it all and just thought, oh well, that's not that's not something for me then. Um, and in the same way, you know, when you were asked why do you want to do that, it could well have been a helpful question because if you know if you know why you were doing something, and sometimes you can't express it very clearly. It's very difficult to say. Um, you know, someone says, why do you want to, you know, why creative words, why that business, why alchemy, why do you do all these different things? Because there's lots, there's lots of perceived wisdom about, you know, a business should have a niche. And I say yes to all sorts of things, just because I think they sound interesting, which is probably a bit bonkers sometimes. Um, but, and I can't give you a, I can't give you a clearly articulated why about creative words. Why do I want to grow creative words? because I do, because it's right at the core of who I want to be. It's that that's filling the world. I, I sometimes call it filling the world with wow, because when I get it right for a client, the words that come back are often, wow, you've really understood us. Um, and that's what I look for. Um, but there is so much in the, in the marketing space, in the advertising space, in the website space that is that is anodyne and dull. And I just want all of that to sparkle. I want every website you go to, to be, I can tell right away whether this is for me or not. I can tell right away if this business is market, is a business I want to work with or not. So that a website gets a visit and someone either goes, yes, you're the person for me, or goes, you're absolutely not the person for me, I'll look elsewhere. And that desire to do that, that desire to help small businesses go grow, to help people express themselves with passion and with power and with true purpose is passion, power and purpose. That's somebody else's. That's definitely not mine. Where have I picked that one from? Um, I'll have to think. I, I have heard that recently and I can't think who it's It's yours from. now. You say it three times, it becomes yours, right? Uh, <laughs> copyright possibly not. But, um, <laughs> Yes, but but um, uh, but helping people do that—it's not a why that I can express as, as a oh because this block and this block and this block, but but because it's very very important to me. And in the same way, you know, why do you want to do that when you were a kid? If you'd actually 
stopped and thought, well, okay, why do I? And got really clear on that. You've probably done it about 30 years before you did. Absolutely. Um, and you'd have been a different person with a different set of results. So I don't look back with regret that I took the path that I took because I couldn't do what I do now if I hadn't got the consulting experience that I had. Exactly. Had managing projects. Yeah, I, I believe exactly the same thing. You know, I had to go through 30 years of depression and anxiety to be able to do what I do now. Mm. Um, you know, many times that I was trying to be a coach in some way, shape or form, whether it was teaching, teaching martial arts or coaching football, there was always the, the teacher, the, the, the guide in me, um, but I wasn't ready, mm-hmm. you know, and I was not ready. And uh, you know, from what you're saying, it's exactly the same thing. He wasn't ready. But when that moment comes when you are ready, that's when things change and yeah. things grow. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Doesn't make it any less scary when you do it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> what's, what's so interesting is that because like now looking back, you know, I've been doing this five years and I, 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 even when, when, I, when I made the decision to do it, I said to myself, look, even if this is a crashing disaster, I will never regret that I've done it. Because even if it's a crashing disaster, I can always go back and go back into consulting. And, you know, I gave myself a year because I knew that I could go back into consulting after a year without any noticeable issue, as long as the market hadn't got a bit tricky because the consulting market tends to be a bit up and down that way is that you know sometimes there's no work to be got and sometimes there's, you can't get enough consultants to, to fill all the gaps but um, I just knew I would never regret giving it a go whereas if I didn't do it I always look back and say I wonder if I really could have got back to work I wonder if waiting till I could retire was really the best decision because the, the truth is that at, at one point I was thinking when I get to 55, I'll take early retirement. So I'm now at the point in my life where I would have been quitting consulting and would have simply been, you know, A, knackered. <laughs> probably, probably just as unhealthy because it's quite difficult to be healthy when you live in hotels the whole time. And um, just not nearly as fulfilled in life as I am now. I wouldn't know half the people that I know. Um, from you know business owners here in Paris Nevins, people like yourself who I've met through weird and wonderful forms of technology. Um, there's all sorts of different things and different people I've met and different experiences I've come across which would never ever have happened. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you talked about networking earlier, you know, it's amazing with the modern technology we've got nowadays, you can actually get to talk to the people who have influenced you in, in way, shape, or form. You know, they are not unapproachable. Not I mean, in the, in the past, you, you know, they always say you, you, you're the sum of the five people who are around you, but now you can surround yourself with so many great people, so many great minds. Um, you know, there's no reason you can't get the information that you require to get you where you are. I mean, I mean, talking about influences, who would you say has influenced you the most? In- oh, big yeah. influences. I mean, Pete, Pete Cohen stands out, obviously, because he started as my coach and then became my client and then became my friend. I'm very good friends with his wife as well. 
Um, key influences through my life. I had Elrod, Miracle Morning. I remember reading that quite early on in that. Um, it's sort of my personal development journey. And I, I am, I always was, and always have been a morning person. I needed to get something done, I would always get up early. Lots of people used to, you know, again in that consulting world, you'd, you'd go for a, you'd go for a meal together, and then you'd all go back to your respective hotel rooms and they'd all be working. And I would be crashing out, and then I would get up the following morning and do the work then. I'm always a morning person. So, Miracle Morning um, does stand out. Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is the company. Um, talking on over recently. I mean, I'm listening at the moment. I, I listen to quite a lot of talking books. I'm listening to um, John C. Maxwell at the moment, part of 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. But I think the book, funnily enough, that's had the biggest impact of them all is not really personal development. It sort of is, but it sort of isn't. And it's called Getting Things Done. It's by David Allen. I do listen to his podcast quite a bit, actually. Um, where he interviews other people and how they use the Getting Things Done method. And what Getting Things Done does is it helps people get productive without stress. Because, um, particularly small business owners, but I mean, he, he works predominantly with chief executives who've got so many things coming at them from so many different angles in the large organisation. But same thing, same principles for a small business then, because there isn't anybody else. And there's a system that he advocates, which is very much about understanding what is the next action, the next practical action you can take on anything, and getting the rest of it out of your head and into some other system so that you can forget about it. He used this principle, and you've taught martial arts, you probably know this expression, mind like water. And that's what he likens it to, is that actually what you've got going on in your head when you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed is a whole bunch of open loops of, oh, I must pick that thing up from the super, I need toothpaste, or, um, it's mum's birthday on Friday and the car needs servicing and, the, and, and you've got all this stuff running in your head and, you know, everything around, I must do the podcast, I must run the business, I must, you know, I must walk the dog, all of those kinds of things, all these open loops. And the thing is that unless what you do is you break them down into actions, things you can do something about, they're just going to float around. So for, let's take one of those as an example. I must get the car serviced. What's the actual next action? The next action is make a phone call to book the car in for a service. You can't do anything else until you've done that. Do you know what the phone number is? No, actually the next action is find the bloody phone number. That's your next action. And, and everything else is just sitting somewhere else in the system. And you can forget all about those. Until you've found that phone number, you can't do anything else. You might as well relax about it. That is the, um, is the getting things done way of doing things, breaking things down to their next action. Absolutely. And, and I, I teach exactly the same thing. It's all about simplicity, breaking things down into small, bite sized chunks. Yeah. And you may not understand the, the whole of the problem at one time, but if you break it down, to manageable moments, yeah. that's how you uh, you gain traction and you get going in life. Yeah. Um, you know, 
everything is you can keep it simple with the old K-I-S-S keep it simple stupid and it it works people overcomplicate people and that's how they get overwhelmed Mm. and uh, but I mean the crucial thing about it with with David Allen is that what he's saying as well is if it's not the thing you're working on right now it needs to be somewhere other than your head because your head is a lousy manager it really is it's it's rubbish that's why Every time you go to the supermarket and walk down the dental aisle, you don't remember you need toothpaste. But when you're the other side of town in Mark Spencer's looking at the new sweatshirts, that's when you remember you need bloody toothpaste. What's that about? (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't you remember it when you were in Waitrose walking down the aisle with 57 boxes of bloody toothpaste? You don't, that's not how your brain works. Um, And that's why there needs to be a system that works. Exactly. That's why, you know, always writing things down, writing down ideas, writing down what I want to do and that sort of thing. Because once you've yeah. got it down on a piece of paper, you're, you're setting an intention. That's it. And uh, that's what I love. So, yeah. before we wrap this up, this I, I'd like to know from you, what is positivity for you? What does it mean to you? Oh, positivity. It, it's a way of being, if I'm honest. Um, it's my way of being. Um, but always, I've always come up, I've always learned. I, I remember even from when I was very small, I'm, I'm the youngest of three. Um, when you have three children, as a parent, you hear very, very frequently, it's not fair. Um, my mother's response was, no, life isn't. And we are a very practical and pragmatic sort of family. When stuff happens, kind of you just get on with it um now that does have its there are occasions when that comes back and bites you a bit so when i was diagnosed with cancer i just got on with it um afterwards after all the treatment ends i was sort of turning around and going shit that just happened what was that about then <laughs> i had a bit of a meltdown um which was what prompted me i hadn't mentioned it before but it prompted me to start i've got a, a small support group mm-hmm. here in barry as well to help people we were having exactly that reaction of, oh my God, what just happened? Um, but very much, you know, if something goes wrong, there is no point in whining and complaining because it's happened. So now you have to get on with that. So there's, there's that element of positivity. Um, I'm an optimist. I believe I believe in the, the, the good intention. I believe in, I say that I have some suspicion about some people's good intentions invading a neighboring country for example being a bit (laughs) topical i'm not sure that the intentions were that good um particularly when you're flinging bombs about but but um there's there is an there is a positive intent um i work with someone who uses api which in technical words is is an integration portal but api assume positive intent for everything but it's it's about it's about optimism. It's about finding the good. It's about seeking the good, and it's about waiting for the good. Because sometimes the good isn't here right now. Sometimes the good will come. Um, and there is a patience that's sometimes required when you have um, you know a challenge or something something that isn't so good is happening to you. There is there is a reason for it everything has a reason and just finding that reason um, which may take years to occur 
and maybe it may be you know 10 15 years down the road and you go oh yeah if that hadn't happened i wouldn't know this 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 and this so um yeah, yeah because positivity nice. doesn't start with the end result positivity starts with the the seeds that you sow yeah. the plans that you make you know and yes it's tough at times you know we all go through really hard times mm. but when you take each step with positivity it really does work out in the end in the long run right. like to say it might take years um, to see something come to fruition mm. but when it does you can look back with pride and uh, you know, and it's about it's about philosophy anything that you can complain about has something positive to it um, you know people say oh I'm getting old you hear that so <laughs> often now at 39 I realized in fact no I was slightly older I was having my eyes tested and I was beginning to lose my, my short my length my long vision and the the optician said well I'm afraid it's a feature of getting old because I was I was two three years down from from the diagnosis and I said you know what I'd take that I'll get old I'm really glad I'm getting old and I've always since then said never complained about getting old because the alternative sucks <laughs> and I've looked at it I've looked at that alternative and thought yeah yeah don't like that one at all but people don't necessarily think that way and that's that's the positivity yeah it's the you know for whatever you feel you are complaining about just think about the alternative yeah Exactly. I mean, I just had a reason. I, I've, I've just been told I've got arthritis in my thumb, and uh, of course, I said to the doctor, "Well, my, you know, he said it's old age," and I said, "Well, my my other thumb's the same age." You know, yeah. The old the old joke, and of course, he, he didn't understand the joke. <laughs> so, well, not a doctor, but, so you know, a doctor without a sense of humour. But uh, it doesn't matter. Age is just a number. And uh, it's what we do with each other these days that really makes a difference. And you, you've been doing a lot. You, you, you've got uh, you know, a great business. So tell everybody where they can find you, how they can work with you. Oh, lots of different stuff. Lots of different ways. So Creative Words is the business. CreativeWords.cc is the website. Um, you can obviously just find me on the website. I run a clubhouse room for authors on a Sunday afternoon, UK time that is, so 2pm on a Sunday afternoon. I'm usually there either interviewing an author or just rattling away on some topic about writing books. Um, and of course I'm on Instagram, Creative Words. I'm on Facebook, Creative Words, Content Alchemy. Um, all of those sorts of expressions are out there. Um, or you can find me, you know, go to any old networking group somewhere and I'll probably pop up. Probably pop up like, yeah. a, like, an old, like an old, like an old bad penny, me, basically. So. Well, I know you're always in my clubhouse room on Saturday morning. Yeah, I'm very you grateful. You find me there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, so it's always great to have you there and listening to uh, what you've got to say because you, uh, you always inspire me when I'm listening to you. And uh, especially when you're talking about balloons. So. Oh, yeah, let's go about the balloons. Balloons and giraffes, I think. So, a giraffe shaped balloon? Yeah, that's just heaven. <laughs> Kate Carew, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been a pleasure to have you here and uh, having you here in the studio. First uh, guest. Yes, the studio. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been wonderful having you here. Have a great day. And thank you all for listening. This has been Positivity Rocks. Have a great day, everybody.